0: I'm Ruthie, host of Out There, here on Valley Free Radio. Tune in for stories from the streets and paths of Northampton and beyond, Fridays from 4 to 5 p.m. Get out if you can, but if you can't get out, tune in. And yes, it is Friday, January 12th, 2023. Oh, shoot, I think. Yesterday was my sister's birthday and I missed her. Maybe it was today. Well, if I remember today, one day late, it's kind of like remembering it close enough. You're listening to Out There. I'm Ruthie. And for today's show, I really had the blahs today and maybe yesterday, maybe even the day before. No, I didn't really have the blahs yesterday and the day before. I was just grieving real hard. Mm, Dwayne stuff. And because I'm going to Kentucky next week. And last time I was in Kentucky was when my good, very good, very good friend Dwayne died back in October. And I think it's bringing all that stuff up. Uh, Oh, yeah, of course, there's some genocides around the world that influence my mental state, too. And uh, leaky roofs and all that Oh, and my knee. (sniffs) Not able to do a lot of things on my knee. Uh, I missed last week's out there i because i was working on our garage roof trying to put a new roof on it we got it half done so our roof garage roof now has half of it in metal and half of it in shingles and i think it might just have to sit that way till i get back in february oh lordy hopefully my knee will be better enough by then oh yeah i guess now i'll play more jvon That's Warren Zevon from 1976. This isn't really a music show. If it was a music show, and I'd done my musical research, I might have played the Linda Ronstadt cover because I might like that cover of it better. But the original, I think Warren Zevon did. Next on out there, um, where's my notes right in front of my eyes? Well, I am going to play a recording. Yes, so the last show that I did, I had a bunch of clips from Eric and Pamela Matlock from 2019, actually, but you know, things still pretty relevant, A lot talking a lot about their experience living in downtown Northampton, and their experiences with the authorities, and one of the things that Pamela talked about, I didn't get a chance to play the entire interview because time ran out two weeks ago. Um, But Pamela Matlock was also talking about her experience with DFS and losing her children because she was living in the shelter. I'll let her tell this story. Um, But if you want to hear the full interview, uh, if it's not on the archives of Out There, I better get it on soon. Hopefully this weekend I'll get it on if it's not on already. I can't remember. But if you want to listen to the archives of Out There, you can go to weatherbeard.com slash out there weatherbeard.com slash out there and hear any of the past 270 some shows and the most recent show with eric and pamela matlock now this clip uh i don't know exactly where it starts probably eric and pamela both talking um a close friend of mine has had some kind of similar experiences and frustrations with uh DFS, uh, so I guess I'll play this and also just acknowledge that we're all people working in the system and (laughs) a lot of people feeling overworked without getting the resources that they need and uh, anyway, here we go.
1: Do every day, and that will improve their outlook on life, make them feel better about themselves, make them feel like they're giving something, they're worth something. Sorry, sorry.
0: Now that I hear the beginning of that clip, Eric was talking about uh, trying to um, hire or employ people on the street that are having a hard time with employment or just purpose.
1: They're they're valuable. That's what work will do. Education will give them the same thing. It'll give them the ability to get out of the hole, to learn new things, to to feel smart and not stupid, to feel like they can improve their situation and, and... make it for themselves. Yeah. That's the, that's what I would say. That's the answer. Support, education, work. Uh-huh. I wanna buy some land. If I get this money from the city, that's what I'm gonna do. Uh-huh. I'm gonna build uh, like 50 tiny houses. Mm-hmm. That would be enough for for this community. There's the, at max level, there's probably 40 homeless people in town. So, or houses, excuse me. Um, and so 50 houses will do it. 50 tiny houses. I'll give them a key, they can pay like five dollar a day rent or something and the keys there is they can they'll have their spot and then yeah, I might keep 10 places that are just transitional if you even got a dollar to your name but that's not going to happen because there will be a way for you to make five dollars because I'll make that too. Okay. I'm going to build gardens around the tiny houses and there will be a central education center. A
2: place for someone to shower every single day like he said to leave their backpacks People think, they'll they'll ask me often, well, why don't you go to a shelter? Well, I don't really know what you think a shelter does for me, because the one in town, we get to go there at six o'clock at night, they throw you out by 7 a.m. the next morning, and this is all winter long, so by 7 a.m. in the middle of February, you're out in the street and you have nowhere to go for another 11 hours. And then people say, why don't you just get a job? Well, how? Where am I supposed to put my 50-pound backpack that I carry around? Mm -hmm. Where am I supposed to shower? He's a cook. He's a chef. How can he work if he doesn't know if he has clean clothes to go to work in? If he's a chef, how can he have a job consistently every day if he thinks, I don't have anywhere to go and I'm going to be alone in the street? So, you know, people don't consider... I asked somebody one time, he, he walked by and told me, I seemed so intelligent. He didn't know why I'd do something with myself. And I said, well, first of all, intelligence has nothing to do with it because you're right. I am. I'm intelligent. This is this is about resources. I emotionally couldn't work if I wanted to right now. It's just not possible. My skill set includes McDonald's. I was an at-home mother for 13 years. My skill set includes McDonald's. Burger Again, King. this is like, your work.
1: So don't feel crappy yeah. about not well, having their job. Do you do this well, for no, work? No, I
2: mean I, I love what I you do. You don't get paid. You know when but... people say, "Well, what were you good at?" I was, first of all, I was good at being a mother. That is what Everyone I. Everyone out at. here
1: calls her mama. That's
2: what yeah. I was built for. Uh-huh. That's what I should be doing. That was my job. She will mom you just like that. Uh-huh. You if uh-huh. you ain't in line, she will mom uh-huh. you just old like that. Old man Jeff standing over there by the meter. I mom him daily. I walk up to him I'm like, "You <laughs> had water today, old man. Uh-huh. What you been doing today?" Like it, you know that. That was my job, but right now, if I were to go get a quote, societal job, yeah. it would be McDonald's. I, I can't tolerate the general public sitting here when I can get up and walk uh-huh. away.
1: Ow! What's up, JD? <laughs> I could, I could give each one a block or, or a certain size like a bag, like a even like a dog refuse bag, you know, the, to pick up the dog poop. Fill that up with cigarette butts, bring it back, and I'll give you five or ten dollars, whatever we decide. Is that a bad idea, Mr. Mayor?
0: Trash the mayor?
2: The mayor won't even say. talk
1: to me. No. We've well, now he because I've there's always been an open case between the city hall protest and now I'm suing the city, so he won't talk to me. He's afraid. I'm not afraid to talk because I'm an honest person. So I'll get online with anybody. I'll, I'll you could quote me. You could put me on record everywhere. I'll talk. My and my lawyer, my lawyer trusts me to speak. She's like, go ahead, do what you gotta do to talk.
2: That's it. Yeah. There's been like one or two things where she's been like, please don't. Don't talk about Touch this, on or this. But like, other than that, she knows that we yeah. don't. We're not looking to hide nothing. Yeah, we're out here for a very specific.
1: Cowards reason. lie. Like we. Cowards we, lie.
2: We got put out here by being, you know, targeted by the state. Uh, from what I call terrorists, the like they absolutely are. They terrorized my family for five years. Yeah it started because, with
1: yeah because
2: we lived in a shelter at the time
1: Really for what we now? lived in a
2: family shelter at the time essentially because DCF kidnapped us and held us hostage in this state So did you ever live in a family shelter and they took our and kids I got the, you and when they said took our kids, kids the they literally threw us out in the street yeah. in 48 hours and like we lived in a two bedroom apartment in Holyoke thing is that I had they showed up my at our room life and, and trespassed him told him he to had five minutes me. to pack a bag and but get, but get out and then left me to pack up an entire two bedroom apartment in 48 hours and get out and then they'll ask me why are you homeless if I lived in an apartment and paid a landlord rent and stopped paying him he wouldn't be able to throw me out in the street like that. Uh-huh. The laws would yeah. completely yeah. forbid that. But because we lived in a shelter, they were literally they able, able to throw us in the into yeah. the street. I've never been homeless in my yeah. life, I'm 35. My oldest son is 17. I I never I was never questioned in my life as a mother until I met him. And it blew my mind. I spent three years being like, no no, this can't be happening, this is crazy. And I'd go to court over and over and over and the same thing would happen and it would blow my mind every time I'd walk out of court being like, wait, something's wrong. Because I never changed anything. I was the same mother I had been since my son was born. Yet somehow, all of a sudden, 13 years later, I needed parents parenting class. And if I wasn't gonna go to parenting class, they were gonna take my kids. And I was like, what? my son is 13, what are you, lo- like, what do you mean I need to go to, and I, sure, I was a rival, I didn't go. I told them they could take their parents in class and stuff it up their ass. Like, I'm, I've been a mother my whole life. I don't need to learn how to time out my son. I don't need you to come in with, in with your early intervention. None of my kids need early intervention, I can tell. You know, it was so many little things. Like, they showed up one time, asked me if they could help me with heating. Middle of February, can we help you with heating? I said, well, I don't know, can you help me with heating? What can you do for me? They said, well, you know, there's fuel assistance right in there's Salvation go, 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 go. Army and there's this, and so I was like, like, oh, so what you're telling me is everything I already know, and no, you can't help me with that heating because I've already utilized all problem these. Problem. This,
3: this woman from DCF looked at me and said,
2: well, I can't cut you a check. I was like, well, then what are you offering me? because I've already used my fuel assistance. I've already called Joe for oil. I've already called the Salvation Army. I called a church two weeks ago down the street to get propane for my hot water. I'm grown, I'm not, this is not the first winter I spent in Massachusetts. Yes, we're struggling, we're, we're, we're short on money, but I know where to look and I'm, quite frankly, I'm not above begging. I'm not, I have children. If I need to provide for them, I will go out in the street and I will beg somebody to help me provide for them if I have to. And this, she went to court and told the judge that I refused her assistance. I was like, your honor, she offered me nothing. What was I supposed to accept from her other than her condescending attitude? Meanwhile, I was 30 with a 13-year-old and she was 22. This is who they sent to my home to judge my parenting. And they're like super offensive. Like not for nothing, not for lack of a better way to say it, like super offensive. How dare you send me some little girl to come and tell me I'm parenting wrong. She's not even old enough to have given birth to my child. And it's been been that way ever since. Like they terrorized us into the street. And then when they put us into the street, they expected us to just snap our fingers and fix it. And especially for me, like, it's an emotional thing. I can't work. I wake up every day and work to not miss my kids, to not want to just move. It's why I don't live inside. People will ask me, why don't you want to live inside? don't. Because when I wake up inside, I forget my kids aren't in the other room. And it's a miserable, horrid, wretched way to start To have to convince yourself that, no, they're not. They're not. When I wake up outside, I never forget they're not with me. It doesn't confuse me. I don't have to convince my brain of something different. <laughs> Do
0: you ever get to see them? Or I, I mean,
2: I don't. Partially my choice. You know, um, that was that was partially my choice when when it was the DCF visits. I was very bitter and very angry, and I couldn't sit in a room with that with that woman who I essentially looked at as a terrorist and a kidnapper. The way I looked at it, she kidnapped my kids. No short of it. it they they burst through our door in that family shelter. We didn't get to keep the door locked. They unlocked it. They filled our room with Holyoke police officers, guns out, vests on, dragged our children out of our house, kicking and screaming. You kidnapped my kids? How am I supposed to sit in a room?
0: Sorry, uh, that was the end of that interview. It sort of ended kind of abruptly. That was the interview with Pamela Matlock. You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. That interview is from 2019. It's 2023, in case anyone's looking at the calendar. But a lot of things still relevant, um, and especially the challenges that parents without a lot of resources have when it comes to keeping their kids. Um, yeah, a good, a good friend of mine has been a foster parent for a while, and she's like, yeah, my my foster daughter, like, her dad lost her just because the dad I mean just because the dad didn't have enough money to be able to provide and in the way the I don't know this yes I'm bumbling there so how about Harry Belafonte
3: We come from the fire, living in the fire, go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, living in the fire, go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, living in fire, go back to the fire, turn the world So is life Sunlight, turn the world around. Heart is of the river, body is the mountain, spirit is the sunlight, turn the world around. We are of the spirit, truly of the spirit, only can the spirit turn the world around. We are of the spirit, truly of the spirit, only can the spirit turn the world around.
0: listening to out there on Valley Free Radio WXOJLP 103.3 FM in Northampton and streaming online at valleyfreeradio.org. I'm your host Ruthie. Now, the next thing I want to rant about, when I came into the studio here today, there was one of these magazines called Northampton City Lifestyle. Now, if you live in Northampton, you may find these magazines coming to your mailbox whether you want them or not. And Personally, okay, so every magazine on the back has a full-color page ad of, well, I'm not going to say the name because that's free advertising, a car dealership in Northampton. Like, I don't want this ad for a car dealership coming to my house unsolicited, you know? Go, away, get it, away, out of my house. This deceitful lies about this car and how... how how they picture it in the mountains with the blue sky and blah, blah, blah. The rest of the magazine is mostly ads, too, about fancy food, what to do with your extra money, what to do with your extra stuff, Northampton City lifestyle. Well, uh, it seems to cater to an image of wealthy, the wealthy, wealthy lifestyles. Alright, next on out there. Oh, I'll play this clip from a couple of weeks ago. So it's Friday, December 29th, 2023. I'm out uh, at the Rotary off of Damon Road Route 9 in Northampton by the bridge over the Connecticut River. Here with Kathy. Kathy, what's your last name? want? M- McNally. And... Uh, this is a regular
4: vigil for the ceasefire in, in Gaza. What, what motivates you to be out here? Well, Ruthie, I feel like, what am I doing if I just stand by and, and let this happen? So even though this is not the hugest thing, I think it's really helpful because people see all these people with signs. So I feel like I have to do something, or what the heck am I living on this planet for?
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anything about this particular um I don't know, genocide, but yeah. that,
4: that you
0: feel compelled to act about?
4: Yeah, that I'm paying for it. And so is anybody else who was who a citizen of the United States, because we're giving our tax money to this horrible genocide. We're responsible for this. And, and so I, uh, that's personally why I'm involved. I, I pay attention to genocide all over the world. I know what happened to the Rohingya this week. Rohingya, and uh, yeah, it's not that I'm ignoring others, it's just this is personal because we're paying for it. Can you talk any more about what you see as the roots of this? this, this- conflict or issue yeah I don't think it has anything to do with religion Um, I think it's totally that the Israeli government wants a land grab they want land they want people off the land and they're using a wonderful very motivational uh, excuse to do it by hooking it on religion I think it has nothing to do with religion it's real estate yeah
0: when I was coming here today,
4: I was like, "Is Israel anti-Semitic?
0: What about the Jews in Israel that are like protesting the top-down government?"
4: Yeah, right. There's—I mean, this this protest is run by Jews. Jews are fantastic. It's—it's not, it's not Jews. We love, of course, we love Jews. We—we we just don't like Netanyahu and the government of Israel, who are the power structure.
0: Hi, I'm Adele. Paquin, And why are you out right here today? Uh, I was feeling really overwhelmed and like I didn't know what to do I was just at home and I realized I could come out here and be with community and just be another person protesting what's happening and be visible and that that's really important too that's a really important thing what kind of reactions have you gotten from passers-by a lot of people have been giving friendly honks
4: a lot of people have been giving friendly honks and waving. And um, there was one person that yelled something negative at us, and I yelled back, <laughs> which I shouldn't have done. It seems like people are encouraging us to be here, so that's cool. Else?
0: Thanks. I think there are continuing rallies at the Rotary in Northampton. Fridays from 1230 to 130 and also Sunday mornings organized by Jewish Voice for Peace also there's going to be a big rally in Washington D.C. tomorrow uh, to stop bombing Gaza and there's buses going from Northampton and many other cities in the eastern United States I'm not sure who's organizing the buses but I'm sure you could find it online Online, that's where everything can be found online. What else was I gonna say about that? Oh, also, uh, I think there's going to be a song circle for Gaza a fundraiser, etc., and like chance to come together to grieve and sing and raise some money tomorrow, January thirteenth at four p.m. at Haydenville Congregational Church. I think my friend, Mayor and Sarah, Katz, let me know about that. Uh, that's tomorrow, the th- January thirteenth, at four p.m. Haydenville Congregational Church. At least that's what I wrote down on my card. And what else? Well, I was, as I said at the beginning of the show, I was feeling a little blank, blah, blank, about my radio show. So I thought I was, I was in my coat room putting on my boots or taking off my boots or staring off into space or something. And I thought, hey, look, look at that bulletin board right there. I could just pick all the papers out of my Bolton board and read the papers for my show. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. There's a R-42 schedule that you know you can get from Williamsburg to, to Florence to Northampton to East Hampton to Holyoke, all on the same bus. It goes once an hour from Williamsburg to... Holyoke, um, there are two different schedules: the R forty two and the R forty one. I'm not sure if all of the schedules are the same bus, but I think, mo- I think most of many of them are. Um, the R forty two, once it gets to Pulaski Park in downtown Northampton, changes the driver, changes the number on the top of the bus, and it says R forty one, and it keeps on going to East Hampton and to HCC. When oh, I say Holyoke, I mean Holyoke Community College. Also, on my bulletin board, there's lots of different bus schedules. Also, we have a flyer for the City of Northampton's Department of Health and Human Services Division of Community Care. The Division of Community Care is a resource for emotional support, advocacy, uh, resource connections for the community, addresses racial and social inequities, responds to non-violent calls slash crisis intervention. The Division of Community Care, currently to the best of my knowledge, has 8.30 a.m. to 4 I think p.m. hours Monday through Friday in downtown Northampton in the Roundhouse One Roundhouse Plaza. And there's not a number or that information on this flyer. I think maybe this flyer came out before it Uh, maybe before they had figured out those things. And let's see. What else do we have? A flyer for Western Mass Surge. Surge showing up for racial justice. Organizing white people for racial justice. Surge is doing a lot of things right now around, well, around Palestine. And also uh, reparations are trying to help Uh, Trying to raise money for an uh, indigenous group in Central Mass to buy some land back. Speaking of bumbling, also we have a timetable for the Amtrak Valley Flyer and the Vermonter. You know, you can go from Northampton to New York City or to up north to Vermont all that from the train station in Northampton. I think there's six six trains a week, something like that. A week, I mean a day. I think there's six trains a day out of Northampton going north and south, something like that. And also here, this is what I really want to read. White privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack. Not just because Monday is Martin Luther King Day, but just because... Every day, it's important for white people like me to know about that invisible knapsack. So this, many of you may have heard of this. This is by Peggy McIntosh from 1988. So this flyer's been around a lot. It's been on our board for quite a while, but sometimes I sometimes I forget it. It's easy to be white. Um, Peggy McIntosh says, I was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness, not in, an invisible, not in invisible systems conferring dominance on my group. She says, I decided to try to work on myself, at least by identifying some of the daily effects of white privilege in my life. I've chosen those conditions that I think, in my case, attach somewhat more to skin color privilege than to class, religion, ethnic status, or geographic location. Though, of course, all these other factors are intricately intertwined. As far as I can tell, my African-American co-workers, friends, and acquaintances with whom I come into daily or frequent contact in this particular Time, place, and time of work cannot count on most of these conditions. And she lists 50, 50 things in her invisible knapsack. I'll start reading some. One, I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. Two, I can avoid spending time with people whom I was trained to mistrust and who have learned to mistrust my kind or me. Three, If I should need to move, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and in which I would want to live. Well, that's getting more and more challenging. 4. I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. 5. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. 6. I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper, and see people of my race widely represented. 7. When I'm told about our national heritage, or about civilization, I am shown that people of my color made it what it is. 8. I can be sure that my children will be given curricular materials that testify to the existence of their race. 9. If I want to, I can be pretty sure of finding a publisher for this piece on white privilege. Ten, I can be pretty sure of having my voice heard in a group in which I am the only member of my race. 11. I can be casual about whether or not to listen to another person's voice in a group in which she or he is the only member of their race. 12. I can go into a music shop and count on finding the music of my race represented, into a supermarket and find the staple foods which fit with my cultural traditions, Into a hairdresser's shop and find someone who can cut my hair. Thirteen. Whether I use checks, credit cards, or cash, I can count on my skin color not to work against the appearance of financial reliability. Fourteen. I can arrange to to protect my children most of the time from people who might not like them. Fifteen. I do not have to educate my children to be aware of systemic racism for their own daily physical protection. Sixteen. I can be pretty sure that my children's teachers and employers will tolerate them if they fit school and workplace norms. My chief worries about them don't concern others' attitudes towards their race. Seventeen. I can talk with my mouth full and not have people put this down to my color. Eighteen. I can swear or dress in second-hand clothes or not answer letters without having people attribute these choices to the bad morals, the poverty, or the illiteracy of my race. 19. I can speak in public to a powerful male group without putting my race on trial. 20. I can do well in a challenging situation without being called a credit to my race. 21. 21. I am never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. 22. I can remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for such oblivion. 23. I can criticize our government and talk about how much I fear its policies and behavior without being seen as a cultural outsider. 24. I can be pretty sure that if I ask to talk to the person in charge, I will be facing a person of my race. 25. If a traffic cop pulls me over or if the IRS audits my tax return, I could be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. 26. I can easily buy posters, postcards, picture books, greeting cards, dolls, toys, and children's magazines featuring people of my race. 27. I can go home from most meetings of organizations I belong to feeling somewhat tied in rather than isolated, out of place, outnumbered, unheard, held at a distance, or feared. 28. I can be pretty sure that an argument with a colleague of another race is more likely to jeopardize his or her chances of advancement than to jeopardize mine 29 I can be pretty sure that if I argue for the promotion of a person of another race or program centering on race this is not likely to cost me heavily within my present setting even if my colleagues disagree with me 30 if I declare there is a racial issue at hand or there isn't a racial issue at hand my race will lend me more credibility for either position than a person of color will have. 31. I can choose to ignore developments in minority writing and minority activist programs, or disparage them or learn from them, but in any case, I can find ways to be more or less protected from negative consequences of any of these choices. 32. My culture gives me little fear about ignoring the perspectives and powers of people of other races. 33. I am not made acutely aware that my shape, bearing, or body odor will be taken as a reflection on my race. 34. I can worry about racism without being seen as self interested or self seeking. 35. I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having my coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of my race. 36. If my day, week, or year is going badly, I need not ask of each negative episode or situation whether it had racial overtones. 37. I can be pretty sure of finding people who would be willing to talk with me and advise me about my next steps professionally. 38. I can think over many options—social, political, imaginative, or professional— without asking whether a person of my race would be accepted or allowed to do what I want to do. 39. I can be late to a meeting without having the lateness reflect on my race. 40. I can choose public accommodation without fearing that people of my race cannot get in or will be mistreated in the places I have chosen. 41. I can be sure that if I need legal or medical help, my race will not work against me. 42. I can arrange my activities so that I will never have to experience feelings of rejection owing to my race. 43. If I have low credibility as a leader, I can be sure that my race is not the problem. 44. I can easily find academic courses and institutions which give attention only to people of my race. 45. I can expect figurative language and imagery in all of the arts to testify to experiences of my race. 46. I can choose blemish cover or bandages in flesh color and have them more or less match my skin. 47. I can travel alone or with my spouse without expecting embarrassment or hostility in those who deal with us. 48. I have no difficulty finding neighborhoods where people approve of our household. 49. My children are given texts and classes which implicitly support our kind of family unit, and do not turn them against my choice of domestic partnership. 50. I will feel welcomed and normal in the usual walks of public life, institutional and social. That is from White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh from 1988. At that time, Peggy McIntosh was Associate Director of the Wellesley College Center for Research on Women. And this essay is excerpted from Working Paper 189, White Privilege and Male Privilege, A Personal Account of Coming to See Correspondences Through Work in Women's Studies. You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. I'm Ruthie, and this is Beyoncé.
5: I was a machine. Just that nappy. just that hair. This that skinfold. This that, that skinfold. just that war. it's that bloodline on the front line, ready for war. Where you gonna run? Get it loose. Get it low. Get it low. Why yeah, you get loose? Get it loose. Get it low. Get it low. Oh, oh, oh Gotta protect my grace. Keep it locked in the safe. Don't make me get back to my ways. My power they never take. Don't ever take my. Power.
0: You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. That was Beyonce. And next on Out There, well, this is WXOJ LP 103.3 FM in Northampton, streaming online at valleyfreeradio.org. I'm your host, Ruthie. Out There airs Fridays from 4 until 5, followed by Democracy Now! Up at 5 o'clock. Before the song, I was reading flyers from on the bulletin board at my house, and here's another one I like to read. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. If you witness public instances of anti-Muslim, anti-black or anti-trans violence or harassment or any other form of interpersonal violence and harassment, use these tips on how to intervene while considering the safety of everyone involved. And there are like one, two, three, four, five, six, like six tips. And this is put out by the American Friends Service Committee. And this flyer was from 2018. Um, Do make your presence as a witness known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want support. Move yourself near the person being harassed, if possible and you feel you can risk doing, if possible, and you feel you can risk doing so, create distance or barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so and the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. That's number one. Make your presence as a witness known. Two, do do take cues from the individual being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser or not? You can make suggestions like, Would you like to walk with me over here? Or would you like to move to another train car? Would you like for him to leave you alone? And then follow the lead of the person being harassed. Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that. Especially white folks, don't police the tone of the person being harassed. Follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over. See if they need anything else. So number one, make your presence known. Number two, take cues from the individual being harassed. Number three, do keep both of you safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there others nearby you can pull in to support? Working in a team is a good idea if it's possible. Can you and the person being harassed move to a safer space or place? So make your presence known. Take cues from the individual being harassed and try to stay safe. (laughs) In terms of some things to not do, don't call the police. For many communities experience har- experiencing harassment, the police can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety, not to incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. I find that to be a big one because a lot of times in these situations, you're just like, ah, afraid to say anything. Like it might be the wrong thing, but at least your body, you can be there with your body. Um, I have been in situations once upon a time I had a friend of me who harassed me. It was such a horrible, horrible feeling when he would harass me in a public place and people would just ignore it. And like I couldn't you know, I was afraid that if I spoke out or fought back that the harassment would just intensify. Mm. Yeah. Um Sure was nice when that guy in Pulaski Park said, Hey, mate, leave the lady alone, and came over there and threatened to beat up Rock. <laughs> Rock, R.I.P. I, as I said, he is a friend of me. You're listening to Out There at, on Valley Free Radio. Uh, and since Monday's Martin Luther King Day, I want to play a little clip from one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. This is from a speech, a talk that he gave to students at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia on October 26, 1967. I'm not sure how much of this will play because Democracy Now! comes on at 5, but uh, here's a little taste.
6: This is the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you decide now at this age, may well determine which way your life shall go. And whenever a building is constructed, you usually have an architect who draws a blueprint. And that blueprint serves as the pattern, as the guide as the model for those who are to build the building and a building is not well erected without a good sound and solid blueprint now each of you is in the process of building the structure of your lives, and the question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint. And I want to suggest some of the things that should be in your life's blueprint.
0: Now, with full respect to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, this is your host, Ruthie, I realized, well, full respect to his philosophy of nonviolence, too, but I realized the previous story I just told about the guy in the park threatening to beat up my friend who was harassing me, that is not what happened at all. I just remembered after those words came out of my mouth what really happened was the guy in the park who was waiting for the bus said, Leave the lady alone, mate. And Rock said... I, I, I'm gonna punch you, and the guy said, "Go right ahead." The guy did not threaten to beat up Rock. He, he was very, peace he, he was very nonviolent in his, in his methods. He just he said, "I'm not afraid of you. If you want to punch me, punch me." That's what he really said.
6: Number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, and your own somebodyness, Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth. And always feel that your life has ultimate significance. Now that means that you should not be ashamed of your color. You know, it's very unfortunate that in so many instances, our society has placed a stigma on the Negro's color. And you know, there are some Negroes who are ashamed of themselves, Don't be ashamed of your color. Don't be ashamed of your biological features. Somehow you must be able to say in your own lives and really believe it, I am black but beautiful. And believe it in your heart. And therefore, you need not be lured into purchasing cosmetics advertised to make you lighter. Neither do you need to process your hair to make it appear straight. I have good hair, and it is as good as anybody else's hair in the world, and we've got to believe that. your life's blueprint, be sure that you have that a principle of somebodiness. Secondly, in your life's blueprint, you must have as a basic principle the determination to achieve excellence in your various fields of endeavor. You're gonna be deciding as the days and the years unfold what you will do in life, what your life's work will be. And once you discover what it will be set out to do it and to do it well. And I say to you, my young friends, that doors are opening to each of you. Doors of opportunity are opening to each of you that were not open to your mothers and to your fathers. And the great challenge facing you is to be ready to enter these doors as they open. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great essayist, said in a lecture back in 1871 that if a man can write a better book or preach a better sermon or make a better mousetrap than his neighbor, even if he builds his house in the woods, The world will make a beaten path to his door. That hadn't always been true, but it will become increasingly true.
0: You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. I'm your host, Ruthie. That was Martin Luther King, Jr. from a speech entitled, What is Your Life's Blueprint? Given to students at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia on October 26, 1967. Thanks for listening to Out There. Stay tuned for... Democracy Now!